Hello, and welcome to another edition of Packy Chat. First off, I want to say thank you so much to everyone that has been listening to us and following us, liking us on Facebook, following us on Facebook, uh, and all the people that have commented and sent us in suggestions for topics. We really appreciate it. Uh, keep them coming. If people, if there's things people want to hear us talk about, uh, write to us on Facebook, and uh, we'll definitely add it to the list. We have a pretty good list for the next couple of weeks, so I think we're set, but always looking for um, new topics and new things to talk about. Again, I say it every week, but if you like us, like us and follow us on Facebook. Tell your friends. If you don't like us, tell your friends. They might like us. They might have better taste than you do. Who knows? Um, and again, whatever, wherever you listen to us, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, it's very helpful to us if you like uh, and follow us on those and maybe leave us a review as well. Uh, that stuff can go a long way down the road um, as our followers and listeners continue to grow. So we're excited this week. We're excited every week, but this week we are again getting together uh, via Zoom, uh, and we have a guest. We are joined by uh, Dr. Wendy Kiso. Uh, happy to have Wendy with us uh, to talk about uh, all things reproductive Um and specifically, I'm sure we're going to get into some things about artificial insemination and whatnot. But with all that being said, uh, I guess we'll just get into it. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We had some previous episodes that we touched on um, elephant population sustainability. We talked a little bit about management. And one thing that was brought up is that, you know, sperm sorting for elephants and whether that could be a management tool you know i remember hearing you talk about that before is there any updates or if you can talk a little bit about where we are in the field of sperm sorting for elephants yeah we started doing the sperm sorting trials probably 14 years ago um and fortunately then we had a partnership with the people who had the patent on the technology for sorting the sperm according to X and Y chromosome. And uh, so at that point, we we're trying to sort both African and Asian elephant sperm. What we found was the biggest challenge was the sperm was not surviving the shipment well to the actual sorting facility. Unfortunately, at that time, the sorter was huge. It's probably um, 20 feet by 10 feet big as far as a sorter so we couldn't really bring the sorter to the facility so we had to bring the semen ship it to the sorter machine and um, the way the sorter works is it literally sorts one cell at a time so if you can imagine you ship the sample and then there's a percent loss during the shipment and they get sorted um, and then by then, because of the, the technology for that, you have a percent loss. So unfortunately for Asian elephants, we needed a source of um, lipoprotein in the extender, such as egg yolk or skim milk for it to survive shipping. But then we found out that that wasn't compatible with the sorter. Whereas in African elephants, you could use any type of extender, um, such clear type media like heaps or talc media, and it survived well. So we were able to sort it, but then time was an issue. So if you can imagine an elephant ejaculate has about, I want to say like 100 billion cells, and it's sorting one cell at a time. So this could take about 24 hours to sort. So unfortunately, the end result is you have a lot of um, loss of motility, loss of you know sperm viability. So we found that at that time, we weren't getting um, consistently viable cells to begin with for collection to ship to do the sorting. Um, but, and then on top of that, a few years later, the company got bought out by another company and it became that you had to pay for the use of the machine. So hopefully now with the technology advancing, um, I've been talking to a lot of the health sciences to see whether or not we can use a human type. Um, however, there's, you know, it's, it's uh, not economical for them to you know do it for us yet but we're hoping um that eventually we need to because that'll be great if we could sort for x chromosome obviously for the female um to have higher number of female calves to you know create a more self-sustaining population um but yes i have to say i think we have to go back to that and then kind of pursue that issue more do you foresee that it's actually 
realistic or viable that there's resources put into this and even if there was resources being put in it if you think it actually can be a successful management tool in the near future you think we're talking decades away I mean, that's a good question. As far as um, being that if you sort semen, you're assuming that artificial insemination is a great tool. I think it's a tool, but not the all-in answer. Obviously, natural breeding is primary. We just need cows on the ground, regardless if it's a female or male at this point. But in the future, if we're going to collect semen and freeze it anyways, we might as well sort it so that we could freeze it. Um, and we did try that. Um, during those trials, unfortunately, the viability post cell wasn't great. Um, using it fresh could be an option, but the chances of having a female ovulating at the time of your sorting is quite um, is a, is the largest challenge. I think um, I definitely think we need all these tools in a toolbox, and then for each situation, we could pick and choose what would work for that particular case. So all the, all the semen sorting is done on a machine. Yeah, so it's a flow, flow cytometer, and it sorts all sorts of cells, but this particular machine is able to sort according to the DNA differences between the X and Y chromosome. So it's in a huge machine, and from what I hear, that they are trying to make it desktop-friendly, so that way you could take it to different places. Obviously, they were trying to do this in um, cattle, the cattle industry, um, and they've pretty much figured out how to sort it and then how much, but they don't need that many cells to inseminate. So that's one thing. And we don't have the dosage amount for elephants yet per se. And in humans, there's a lot of obviously ethical issues with sorting sperm and choosing whether you want a male or female, you know, offspring. So um, I don't think there's a great push to have more available, you know, desktop friendly sorters. But again, um, I think that's something that we, we should look into. And, and for the cattle industry, what's their rate of, I guess, success? So when, when, they, when they're sorting for, let's say they just want females or whatever, what's the percentage? Are they, I mean, are we talking like above 90%? Are, they, are we at 100%? Are they still getting the undesired gender or how are they doing? Yeah, so the, uh, you know, that's one thing too is you're going to have a percent accuracy with the sorter. So whenever you sort, there's always going to be, you know, um, like a percent of Y chromosomes getting into the population. So even that, the semen that you're using to inseminate is probably maybe 90% accurate as far as there's going to be more X chromosome versus Y. But then on top of that, they're freezing it and then they're inseminating that. So the success rate, I don't know what it is now, but it's probably in, in a lower percentage that they need to optimize it better. Yeah, it's not ideal. And, and also they're picking ideal candidates for it. So just say if this male's a dud, doesn't produce that much viable sperm, they go to another male. Same with the female. So you try to find prime candidates, whereas us working with endangered species or threatened species, um, we don't have that, um, I guess, the luxury of picking individuals for ideal candidates for it. So that's a decent segue into uh, where are we with, with freezing? So right now um, at the CEC, we have the Asian Elephant Genetic Resource Bank. So we have about four tanks full of um, frozen sperm um, that we've collected from about seven different males. Um, and in African elephants, I haven't concentrated on that for the last few years because um, my funding was backing Asian elephants at that point. But we're hoping that, and one thing good is African elephant sperm are a lot easier to freeze compared to Asian elephant sperm. So I think once we just start collections, we could get it going and start a bank for African elephants. The biggest limiting factor is finding um, consistent and viable bulls to get semen from. Um, I think that's the issue. And also just the geographical challenges of being there with all the equipment to freeze it and to store it. But we're hoping to work on that in the near future as far as get funding and to get people to um, participate in collecting their bulls to allow us to freeze it. So kind of segue into natural breeding a little bit. So what would you say are the, you know, three to five biggest factors when it comes to breeding elephants in a, in a natural setting? Uh, in what, I mean, sorry, in what sense, like more anatomically or like age wise or like management wise? Or All of the above. 
Well, for one, you know, a lot of facilities have genetically um, related individuals. So I think they're limited to which bulls can go in with the female. Um, and on top of that, we have a lot of young um, males that are um, not very skilled <laughs> at breeding at this point. But I guess in time, they will learn for that. So I think having, again, you know, natural breeding is ideal. It is. Um, however, you know, if the situation is whether the bull's not compatible behaviorally with the female or whether they're genetic related. That's why I think artificial insemination is a great tool to use. Um, but I think creating um, big groups of elephants as far as herds of elephants that get along that you could just put them in. So that way, if the female's ovulating, opportunistically, they'll, they'll be able to breed. Um, obviously, in a very um, responsible management like you're not going to put in a brother with the ovulating sister kind of thing um, but that's all I mean that's why I could think of now unless unless you have other no I was just you know I was just setting it up for the natural breeding because I know you talked a lot about um, artificial insemination and so if somebody was starting a breeding program and you know maybe this isn't the right way to go but what like and they were looking for advice as far as hey you know, when do I put the male with the female, you know, kind of that kind of stuff, I guess is what I was getting at. Um, yeah, so know, I would what, say, what would your, what would your advice be to a new breeding program that was trying to, you know, kickstart themselves? Yeah. If they had all the resources in their toolbox, I would say get, you know, young females that are either, you know, they're, um, and you know that they don't have any abnormal reproductive pathologies for one young. And if, if they're proving breeders, like they've had a couple calves, that's ideal because you know they're fertile. Um, and But in the male sense, it's great to have um, different age groups as far as I think it's great to have a scaled male that could get it going and then have the juvenile males come up and, you know, slowly learn. But obviously what would be great if if they're not genetically related. You know, that way you could just kind of mix and match and not have to really consider, well, we can't put this bull in because they're related or not. Um, but I think it's also great if you're going to become a responsible breeding facility to think of the bigger picture of other facilities as well and how you could take, a, take part in that. So collecting your bull, um, preserving their semen so that way other facilities could use it as well. So I think it's more of a collective program. But to start a breeding program, I think it's the founding um, elephants are really key. They really do. If a, if a program is looking to, uh, has males and wants to get into collecting, what would help you or what would help the population to get these elephants on board? Well, for one, it's, um, as you guys know, collecting elephants isn't glamorous and it takes a lot of people and hard work. So just the the enthusiasm and the, you know, the will do of the staff to collect the semen, that's number one. Um, and then to get multiple people to learn the skill of collecting is ideal. Cause as you know, things change um, within a facility. Um, but collecting a bull consistently two or three times a week to clean them out and then to evaluate them as far as the quality of the semen goes. Um, and honestly, I think, the bull being in part of the natural breeding in addition to collecting semen would be ideal because um, a lot of facilities have bulls that don't naturally breed. So in lack of better words, they don't clean their pipes as often. So when you go in there out of the blue to collect, you're not getting a viable fresh sample. You're getting kind of a rusty load syndrome as they call it. So I think it's just a practice of the staff getting to know the bull and collecting them, you know, consistently that's pretty ideal. Can you explain what, what the process is like? So being a reproductive physiologist, you could collect semen in many different forms, you know, and obviously if you work with smaller um, species, you could use electro ejaculation or you could use manual stimulation. But for elephants, you know, we got to consider their size, the safety of the staff and it's not um, safe or, you know, it's not a good choice to just, um, sedate them just to collect semen. Obviously, if you're doing other procedures, then you could opportunity sedate them for electroejaculation. But ideally, if you if you condition them to train them for manual collection, rectal stimulation is ideal um, because it's less invasive um, and you could do it multiple times a week without even worrying about 
um, you know, having to sedate them or use other methods. And I think it's a win-win, you know, for the staff is safe. For the elephants, they get their favorite treats up front while they're producing semen for you. I, I, it's not glamorous, as you know, as far as collecting semen, um, but I think it's safe and it's very practical for a lot of bull facilities. No, I was just going to say, for collecting bulls is a lot of just effort, right? So it's very physically taxing, but then it's the effort of organizing it. So there's a lot of work that goes on the front side of it, of organizing the day and when we're going to do it. And these, these three days a week, we're going to do it. And we have, a, we have an AI coming up for another facility, you know, like she said, cleaning them out, all of that that goes into it. And then, so there's a lot of prep work that goes into it that way. And then there's a lot of obviously physical skill that you need to do, right? But I think overall, in the situations I've been in, it's 100% effort. If you put the effort into doing it, whether you know the skill or not, you will learn in due time. But I think, you know, the way we had set it up in the past was just setting up on a schedule and just doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. Um, it gets the animal used to it, gets the humans used to it. Um, and then that's, I think, when you get the results and, and what I've experienced in the past. No, and I totally agree. And, you know, I'm sure, um, you know, I could say that it's a lot of work time and effort is not just one or two people that's helping collect a bull. And on top of that, when you're AI and an elephant, and you know about this on the AI side, we're asking for semen from these bull facilities, and they have to sometimes get up at four in the morning just to collect their bull. So I think it's important for people to see both sides, you know, as far as what it takes for the bull facility to collect the effort, the time. Um, and, and the big thing is I noticed that facilities that have a team um, that's very enthusiastic and just wants to be a part of the big collection process, that makes a huge difference because that's going to decide whether they're going to get up at four in the morning to collect the bull for the AI facility. Um, and then for the AI facility, we might get semen in at two in the morning or three in the morning. And that takes dedication on that end as well. It's all about, you know, the camaraderie, the um, effort on the facility to make it happen. So do you see, I know you do, but can you, you see differences between manual stimulation like, like, like we're doing and AVs and is there any success with phantoms or anything like that? And is the quality different with those? And why, why do we not get the volume when, that we, when we collect, why don't we get the volume that they do when they, when they breed? I mean, they, they seem to waste more when they breed than we collect you know, manually. Right. So first I'll start off like um, physiologically. So when we're collecting using the rectal stimulation method, we're palpating the prostate, the ampulla glands. So honestly, we're getting a sperm rich fraction and it's not a true ejaculate. Um, so when, as you see, when in natural breeding, there's up to two liters of fluid that comes out because you're recruiting all the accessory glands. So there's fluid from the central vesicles, the prostate, and the bulb urethra gland that goes with, you know, as far as it lathering the female, slathering the female rather, and then um, ejaculating. But when we're doing the rectal massage method, we're doing a very, um, we're not getting a true ejaculate, which is why I think a lot of times the semen quality is very inconsistent because we're not recruiting all the fluid from the seminal vesicles to give it all the qualities it needs as a true ejaculate. Um, but being that said, you know, other you know, domestic species, they use artificial vaginas or they use phantoms. And granted, you know, I don't think we've studied it enough in a very systematic way to say yay or nay. And I think also it depends on the individual elephant um, and the safety. We tried building an artificial um, vagina in a phantom for an elephant. And um, we got to the point that the elephant would mount it, but it didn't know where the hole was. So it, we would have to train the elephant to go in that that way but I think that's one way because and this is just my opinion I think the bull needs to be standing up on his hind feet like it would normally do when it breeds a female and that way um, during the ejaculation process is going to recruit all the fluid from the seminal vesicles which gives it a true ejaculate um, granted you would probably have to take out the seminal plasma when you process and freeze it because in other species, we found that it's quite detrimental to the sperm long-term storage-wise. 
So you would have to process it in that way, but at least it's a start of getting a better quality sample. But I think that's something that, I mean, if I had all the money in the world, you know, I would want to build a phantom for every bull and then have them, you know, try to mount it and get the sample and then compare it and then collect that same bull a few days later using the rectal massage technique and seeing if there's a difference in quality. When, do, when do you mentioned that um, you have to clean them out every so often to try to avoid that, that rusty sample you referred to, the, um, how much is too much or how much is too uh, not enough? Right, and I think that goes with the individual bull. Like, I think the more the staff interacts with the bull and collects the bull, you can kind of tell. And then, fortunately, we use ultrasound to see how much semen the elephant has. You know, anatomically, that's what's really great and unique about elephants. They don't store their semen in epididymis. They store it in the ampulla, which makes it very convenient for us to ultrasound to see how much semen there is. So as you're beginning your collection, um, it's important to ultrasound to see how much semen there is. And then when you're during the collection process, you'll see how much comes out of the ampulla. And then you go back, you know, maybe four hours, eight hours later to see how much is filling up. Because some bulls take five hours, eight hours to refill. Other bulls take three days. So that's also something to consider that each bull is different. Also, if you have a juvenile male um, and if the, you know, the, testicles aren't as mature they're not going to produce as many sperm cells in a given day um, but you have to consider that and also if you have a male that's quite new to the process the rectal massage technique they need to get used to that so I think you have to consider that as far as whether they're you know apt for it and whether they're you know they adapt to it and you have a good sample so as time will tell and I think Nick could tell you that depending on the bull you could collect them twice a day, some bulls maybe once a week. It just depends on how much they fill up and how they take, take to the collection process. You know, we, we all look at you as a tremendous uh, resource. And when we think about things like sperm collection, things like reproductive assessments, we talk a lot about training here um, on our podcast. What are some of the things that would really help you when you go to a facility to reproductively assess males and females or collect from the males. Are there certain things that you really hope that are checked off in a checklist to allow us to be successful, allow you to be successful and getting the information that we need? Yeah, I'm, you know, most of you have um, seen us do a, an ultrasound um, evaluation on a cow or a male. Um, but the main thing is, you know, our goal is to be able to evaluate the cow using ultrasound and safety is number one for the staff and the elephant and for us. So I think having the elephant trained and comfortable for the procedure is key. So in the ERD, having the elephant comfortable in there and, um, uh, you know, and steady is very helpful because that way we could just concentrate on the ultrasound image. Um, while we're evaluating. And same thing with semen collection. If the bull is not trained for it, it's going to be a constant challenge between you and the bull to get what you need. Um, so I think it's just mainly the elephant being used to um, being, you know, given an enema, being cleaned out and having an arm in their rectum. And, you know, and obviously it's, it's not invasive at all in the sense of, well, other people might say sticking a hand up an elephant's ass is pretty invasive, but in overall speaking, the information we're gathering by ultrasound elephant is, is so key in that we don't have to go through surgery or all that if we don't have to, but I think the value of ultrasounding is it's really um, a great medical tool, but it just depends on how well the elephant is trained that we could get all the images that we need to make that evaluation. Does that answer your, is that, does that answer somewhat? Yeah, yeah that's great. Oh, yeah. Early on, we thought, and I don't know if it's because we don't have enough samples or there's science behind it, but when we, AI, we tend to get uh, male offspring. Is that a, is that from how we're, from what we're doing, collecting the semen, or is it just that there, we haven't had that many uh, AI calves to know that you know it might even out down the road. 
Yeah, no, that's a really good question because there was a paper that came out a few years ago that says that artificial insemination produces more male calves than females. So being a scientist, I kind of um, nitpick through the materials and methods. I look at the data set and all that. So granted, looking at their particular data set, they picked a window of data. And yes, looking at that paper, you would think that there's a high proportion of males being produced through AI. And other people say that because when you collect semen, you're processing it, there's some damage that goes to the cells. And technically, you know, there, you know, between the X and Y chromosome, the Y chromosome is lighter, you know, there's less DNA. So they say that because of the damage, the Y chromosome swims faster and is more durable. But I don't really believe that because you would think in general, then there would be more males and females overall, if that's the case. Um, but if you, I think it spreads out. If you look at the data set, like for instance, I went through the stub book, the North American AZA stub book, if you pick just say 20 years of that data, you'll see that there's more males. But then if you span out through the whole stud book, then it's literally 49%, 51%. It becomes a 50-50. So I think, um, I think if the data set is spread out, so right now, yeah, there's a, probably a lot more males are coming up, but I think through time, there's going to be more females as well. So and this is just my estimated scientific guess, as this, you know, swag, as I say, scientifically wild-ass guess, that I really don't believe in that as far as um, AI producing more males. I think time will tell, you know, but I'm not going to um, disagree with what that paper said, um, uh, I think with Sarah Gusty at all, what they said, because the data that they had in there does appear to be that way, but it's just scientifically, I just can't believe that through time. Do you think, do you think it would be like a timing issue? Like, like you said, you know, the males swim faster or whatever. And so do you think we're AIing too late and therefore only the males are getting there? Does that make sense? No, no, that's a really good point. And actually there's, um, I haven't read the papers recently, but they were saying that in humans, like for IVF trials, you're finding out that um, in this particular set of um, studies, they found that the insemination time, um, as far as when they inseminated the female, produced more males versus females. However, another paper disagreed with that. So I haven't really investigated that further, but it could possibly be. And I think that's why it's important that we always write down, you know, um, when we inseminate with what sample, but because it's so inconsistent, as you know, during an AI, as far as the timing of um, AI for one, and then the quality of semen. So a lot of it, I think, has to do with the quality of semen. So I can't, uh, yeah, but that's a really good point, though, and I think that needs to be looked into further. It could be. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're doing an AI, you're, you know, you're at the point where you just you want to get a pregnancy. So whether it's a boy or a girl, I don't think really matters much. I think we can all say that, what, you know, all of us that have had calves, we don't care if it's a boy or a girl. We just want it to be healthy, right? Right. Uh, right. Right. No, I mean, I mean, ideally, you know, um, obviously we need calves on the ground right now to, you know, keep the population going. But ideally it would be great if we could sort sperm, like we mentioned earlier, so we have more X chromosome in the population. But, um yeah, I think there's more studies that need to be made for that. But the freezing technology is going to be the challenge. You know, like in, in dolphins, they actually collect the semen, they freeze it, thaw it, thaw it out, they sort it, and then they refreeze it, and it survives fantastic, right? Whereas elephant sperm, if you look at it, Asian elephant sperm, if you look at it, it starts deteriorating at the minute you look at it. So I think there's a lot of things that need to be optimized along the way. You know, obviously, you have a captive uh, audience here discussing this topic. But when you mentioned funding in the world of elephant reproduction, is it tough to get funding? Like personally, I imagine it's easier to get funding for African elephants because they're more, way more popular. But I'm just curious to know that in general, once you're trying to get funding for your field, is there a lot of interest, or is it really coming from um, facilities that are housing elephants that are really driving this? Um, this research? No, um, that's a good point. Um, it definitely, the African species has a lot of uh, 
um, funding and charisma attached to it. So the funding source of that seems to go well, whereas in Asian elephants, for some reason, funding seems to be issue. But honestly, being, I mean, I work for Ringling Brothers, you know, and they were great about funding anything, everything elephant. So I went on a couple of sperm tours. Ringling funded everything, supplies, travel, everything to, and they said, if you go to a facility, we'll pay for it. And they, but now that that's no longer a resource, we've been trying to get facilities involved. Like each facility will donate X number of, um, you know, give it, put it into a pot and then we'll collect, you know, in a general consortium sort of way and whoever needs semen will get it. But it sounded good on paper, but when it came down to it and unfortunately because of COVID-19, that's probably going to be on the wayside. But yeah, funding especially for this particular issue, seems to be a challenge. Um, for some reason, it's not um, fuzzy and warm and, you know, um, I guess charismatic collecting semen, you know. So it's, it's been a challenge. But And then now, as you know, as you know, Ringling Brothers is no longer, we're going to have to find, you know, alternative funding sources, definitely. Is there a, is there a downside to AI? We've heard, uh, we talked earlier on that, you know, some places are afraid to do, or, or I guess there's been, there's been talk that they're, I guess they're afraid, I guess you could use that word, to do artificial insemination because they think it'll affect natural breeding down the road. For the male aspect or the female aspect? Like, what are they scared of exactly? You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know there, there's a lot of. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a lot of hypothesis to that. You know, and, and I, you know, and on based on my experience, and really, it's you know, with in my experience with with AI, we've in semen collection, we've collected a fair number of of animals, and in, in, you know, uh, limited success or varying success based on their age and things like that. But I mean, we had uh, a bull that that was really inept at um, natural breeding. In, in the beginning of his quote unquote career. And then we started, he was one of the main bulls for collection uh, on the African side for many years and has a, a few offspring because of it. And then uh, just because of his our, or our inability to get good samples from him, he, we transitioned him back to being a natural breeder and he had absolutely no problem with it. So, and he had about, a, you know, I would say probably a decade long break in between his, uh, his, opportunities to naturally breed where he was completely inept he was you know he was cranking out great samples through through um you know manual collection and then went back to being a breeder so you know i don't know i mean it, yeah there's a lot of that there's a lot of uh i guess hypothesis out there the problem is is we really don't have enough animals and that's part of the problem why we continue to have this conversation is we really don't have a, enough animals to um to sustain what we want to do and i also don't think we have enough animals to draw any solid conclusions as to what's going to happen with some of these guys and gals, you know, in the future. The future will tell as we get better at this and we keep doing, uh, you know, we keep that breeding and we keep doing what we're supposed to be doing as far as from a sustainability perspective. We'll, we'll get some more information. But right now, I think the goal, um, you know, the, the prime directive here is getting calves on the ground. So I think we'll see what happens. I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't steer uh, a program or, or, or uh, you know, the sustainability part of this uh, in any direction based on that yet. I think time will tell. So are most people thinking that if you start collecting the bull, doing the rectal massage technique, that they're going to be duds for natural breeders? Is that what people are thinking? I, I don't know what the logic is behind it. I have no idea. Maybe someone else on here does. Yeah, I mean, the, the only statement I've heard is, oh, it, you know, if you collect these bulls when they're young, they won't breed naturally. Kind of a blanket statement like that. Yeah, and that's and that's a tough one, you know. For like yeah. I said earlier, that's a tough one to to understand. I mean, it's a it's an interesting thought, but I don't think there's anything prove you know that we can prove at the moment. And you know, unfortunately, that line of thinking is gonna is is gonna make us deviate from from maximizing our opportunities, you know, to get at these animals breeding and keep them breeding. So, <laughs> right, you know. and and I I agree, and that's why if if that is a myth, it needs to be debunked. They're, they're told two separate things, you know what I mean? As far as, um, I don't think the bull uh, associates semen collection using rectal massage technique to natural breeding. It's just a, like an innate natural behavior for a bull to mount and to 
want to breed, you know? So, and then the way we collect is, I don't think they associate the two. I really don't. Well, so, especially, especially in the presence of a cycling female. I mean, that, that fires right, on the drive. Other, yeah. A bunch yeah. of other things and, you know, hormones and pheromones and behavior and all that kind of stuff that, you know, a lot of times when we're collecting that there may, there may not be a, a cycling female or, you know, anywhere. And in some cases a, a female anywhere. So, you know, I think the, again, I agree with you. I think there's a, a different association. Plus, you know, as we talked about, there's, um, you know, the, the process for collecting, you know, there's a whole bunch of, you know, muscle contractions and all these things that happen that I don't think happen. You know, we, we I often say, we've said it before is that, you know, semen collection and elephants manual stimulation is, is a, it's a flawed process. And I think we get lucky uh, in some cases and I, you know, in, in some animals, I think just maybe anatomically or, are better built for it, the buttons you push. And I think there are people who are better equipped for it. You know, it's a hard skill to teach, frankly. Um, so I, you know, and, and I, I don't think there's a science to it. I think it's more of an art at this point. We, we, yet we, <laughs> the byproducts are put into the science, but as far as the, the collection process itself, I think it's more of an art. No, I agree. And it's all about getting to know the bull. And unfortunately the bull does change you know, um, through time as well. And so I think um, the people who are collecting or the team has to be really observant about what's going on because there are certain trends. If you go too quick, then the bull's not going to respond or some bulls within the first 10 minutes, you have to get it or they're done, you know. Um, so I think it is a, it's a big learning process, but I just think you could have both. You could have natural breeding and you could collect semen at the same time. And I think it's individually based. I, I just hope that people will get on board in the future. Yeah. How important do you think it is for uh, young males to see older males breeding? Do you think, do you think that's, that's something that should happen? Or do you think instincts just kick in when they hit the right situation? Or is it a combination of both, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. Because they do learn behavior, right, from other individuals. Um, I think... But some males just don't get it. They just aim wrong, and but they eventually get it. But I think for the birthing process, yeah, I think the female should be present. But for breeding-wise, I don't know how important it is for a young male to see that. What do you guys think? I think it's instinctual, personally. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, it's probably 90-10, maybe, you know? I think I think there's some benefit to a young male seeing it, obviously, but... But I think, like just like humans, I think it's instinctual, personally. Right. No, I, I, I agree with that, but I think that I believe that there's a skill. You know, I, I just got done talking about that one particular uh, individual who was really bad at breeding. You know, he'd mount from the side and mount on the wrong end and all that kind of stuff. And then over time, through practice and through you know maturity, frankly, um, I think they I think they get better at it. So I think le less observational and more is just given the opportunity to do it more and more. I've, I've seen other animals that were, um, were not very good at it, you know, air, air quotes in the beginning and, and developed the skill over time. I never really had opinion on it. And I, I guess I still don't, but it, it made me think, uh, several years ago, uh, Ty was breeding somebody, probably Shawnee and, uh, Baylor and Tupelo were much younger and still in the yard with each other. We've never seen it before. And as soon as Ty was done breeding, Baylor started drop penis, getting on Tupelo sideways. Never seen him do it before. Never saw him do it again after that. I mean, then he started moving over to the bull side. But um, it was it was kind of neat to see. So I, you know, I don't know if they learn anything, but I it certainly doesn't hurt them. Right, right. But you know, I think what's more interesting is why are certain um, pairs not compatible? You know, they're not aggressive, but why are certain females not receptive to certain males and vice versa? It's, I, th I just think breeding is innate. It's just part of the, you know, the animal worlds that I just find it interesting that they're like, no, I don't want to breed with you, but I'll breed with him. You know, I just find that interesting in itself. Does that happen a lot where a female doesn't, isn't interested in a male, but will breed with other ones? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, from your standpoint, is there like a public service announcement or something that you would like to pass out to the elephant community, you know, to um, advice for us that um, either we need to continue to do, do more of or do less of? 
Yeah, you know, first I have to say I'm super grateful for many facilities because I'm not an elephant, um, you know, keeper. I'm not an elephant handler, but everyone's been very open and welcoming for scientists like me to come in. Um, and one thing is for sure, it takes a team. It's not just I or one person that does stuff. So I think the main thing right now, you know, especially during these times, it's great that we're all collaborative and it's we're as a team and not divisive, you know. So as we go forward, I just hope and, you know, with my position, it's I have the unique position that I get to go to different facilities and work with the team and to see what their programs are like. And I'm super grateful for that. But I just wish there was more of that as far as um, in the reproductive sense, you know, collecting semen and sharing it with other facilities and not about, um, no, we don't get along with that facility. So they, they can't get our semen, anything like that. Because right now our goal is to make more calves so that we all can see our kids see elephants in zoos and in you know other private facilities so I just want to encourage everyone that if you have questions call reach out um, we're all in this together you know don't be scared you know be humble about if you have any questions no no questions is a stupid question you know I just think that we need to work together a little bit better do you, do you think there's any benefit <clears throat> to making a, a little how-to video you know yes yes and no um unfortunately i'm you know from my background you know with ringling brothers i'm a little bit paranoid about videos you know obviously in-house people are very you know it's very useful for people who are on the job to use it but if it get into gets into wrong hands they could take snippets from it and use it in a poor way so that's i'm just paranoid about especially during semen collection when i have people come or um have visitors or you know outside people i do not let them take pictures or videos um only because until until i um, explain to them exactly what they're seeing what's going on here why is the elephant you know grunting during the semen collection process because he's producing semen ejaculating you know until there is a full picture i'm paranoid about having any videos out there for semen collection because you see it they could um, i just feel like in wrong hands they could be taken out of context if there is one full video out there, you can at least explain that through it. You know what I mean? You know why? And you don't. I, I, I get. I get the idea that they could still still take a, a yeah. you know a, a portion out of it, but the fact that the whole thing is still somewhere to be found to say, hey, here's an unedited version. This is what it is. We can at least defend it in some way. Do you think that would be very helpful for people as far as having that? I, I don't think it could hurt. That's for sure. I mean, I think, you know, I think that the trick is how, how like, you know, every elephant's a little different and they change over time, but to, to have a video to show, you know, what they're looking at on ultrasound, how deep they are. I mean, the things that help me every time I, I see you do it or you come out to us is, you know, the more times you look at a, an ultrasound image, the, the better you understand it. But also every time I look at a screen, I always look up to see how far, the arm is inside that elephant, regardless if we're doing reproductive ultrasounds on a female or whatever, just to kind of get an idea. And I think as far as, you know, when, when someone is stimulating to see uh, what it takes, how deep you are, what, you know, what kind of motions you're doing, what kind of pressure you're doing, I think it could certainly be helpful. I don't know what other people think, but I think, I think it'd be, as someone that has done it uh, quite a bit, I, I would still, I'd love to, to, to have that reference and resource. Well, I also think that there's some people out there in the, in the industry who, um, I, you know, I, I don't want to overstate this, but there's, there's, they're reluctant to do it for, for a myriad of reasons. And, uh, and we see it too when, um, when, we, when we do our, the classes that we teach, you know, the, especially PEM2, um, there are folks who they, they, they want to jump in and participate. They want to see it. They want to experience it because there are still facilities out there that don't do it. And there are some people that, you know, unfortunately can't get around to facilities and visit and do those things. So we, we definitely see a huge interest in it, regardless of, of uh, the facility where they work as far as whether they're actively breeding or not. But there's other facilities out there that may be, you know, maybe right now exclusively 
trying natural breathing and, and there may be a reluctance and, a, and I guess maybe a fear of the unknown of, uh, of what they need to do to, to, to capitalize on every opportunity. So I think there would be a lot of interest in it. I mean, even, even for people that are doing it, frankly, just to be able to see, you know, um, solid technique and, and see, what, see, see how it may be mirroring or, or differing from what they're doing. You know, but at the same time, I, you know, through collecting so, you know, so many different bulls, like I want people to realize that each bull is different, you know, so having a video out there doesn't mean that's the way it's going to be for their bull. And it might change, but I guess that's a caveat that everyone just needs to be aware of, you know, that, but yeah, I think that's my concern as well. Like, as you know, like even for AI, you know, each facility has different facilities and the way you would do it, um, how well trained the elephant is. But for semen collection, I just feel like there's such a difference in the way the bull responds, you know, so. No, I agree. And, you know, absolutely. And there's definitely some, there's definitely a lot of merit to that statement. However, you know, anybody who's calling somebody else out to help them come to their facility, that's, you know, they're going to have to face that anyway. And I think there's a way to message that, you know, if we, if there was a video out there, you know, it could be very clearly stated that, you know, this is sort of a general overview of what this one looks like, but there are subtle differences. And frankly, you know, the video could be done in a way that, uh, could be done at multiple facilities if you can get the cooperation and then you could actually see that some of the differences and you could even outline them as you narrate as whoever narrates the video we can talk about you know how uh you'll you'll notice this was different than the last one right you know, no that'll be good yep. yeah yeah well i'm game if um obviously if facilities are you know amiable to it you know so can we go back a second if we're if someone's collecting for an AI, um, once uh, once they once they have semen, can you tell us what a what an average amount is? Because I think a lot of people are shocked at how low the, the the volume often is. And then two, what happens to it after? If you're a, if you're a facility that wants to donate or, or participate in in donating semen for breeding, you collect semen. Then what? You know, what what do you have to do to, to look at it under a microscope and extend it and pack it and all that stuff? Can you just go over that real quick? Yeah, so um, as we mentioned earlier that, you know, we're getting a very sperm-rich fraction, so you're not getting all the accessory glands. So, yes, it is surprising that sometimes you get five mils, other times you get up to 500 mils. It just depends because you're using our collection technique we recruit different volumes of these seminal vesicles. So don't be surprised that you only get five mils of semen, but also it depends on, like for instance, if you're collecting for AI, if you're collecting three days in a row, the third day you're probably gonna get less volume compared to the first day. Um, and also it depends on the sperm concentration. You know, one day could be four billion cells per mil, another day could be one million cells per mil. So I think mainly if the keeper staff could be more diligent about taking notes, evaluating, you get to know the pattern of the male. Like, you know, by the third day, you can get this volume. Um, but the key is to evaluate the sample to know what you have. You know, if, if you have less than 5%, 10% motility, you're not going to want to process it for AI. Um, but if you have anything over 75%, you know, 70%, 75%, you want to process it so that you can ship it for the AI facility. And, um, it, it, it depends on the species too. For African elephants, you could use a whole skew of different extenders and it survives well during the shipping for the AI process. Whereas for Asian elephants, their sperm cells are really sensitive and um, to cooling and to processing. So you have to have an egg yolk or a skim milk type of extender. So obviously when you collect a bull and you're gonna ship it to an AI facility, um, the, the AI facility should provide the extender or, you know, in the past um, with Ringling Brothers, they, they were able to pay for all the supplies to make the extender that I shipped to the facility. Um, but now we ask the AI facility to um, pay for the extender or I make it in the lab um, with my own recipe that I ship to facilities. Um, so unfortunately, it takes a lot of time for the staff as we go back. Uh, obviously, the staff has to you know, engage in the time and the effort of the team to collect, but then someone has to take it back to the lab, evaluate it to figure out whether it's good enough to ship, 
then process it and then put it in the shipping container and then take it to the shipping location. So there is investment in that, but I know in, you know, I think I'm talking to most people that have done an AI that being the AI facility is much grateful for, you know, when you get a good sample is so rewarding for the AI. Um, yeah. And then, you know, my goal was to make a freezing technique eventually that's field friendly. So anyone could do any zoo. Um, for Africans, I think it's a lot easier as far as freezing. Unfortunately for Asians, it's kind of a pain. You're going to have to have someone dedicated for the process because literally you're going to have to do it step by step. You can't just mix A with B and then freeze it. So the end goal is to have each facility collect their bowl routinely and to freeze it and put it in their own genetic resource bank. That way when facilities are ready to AI, they just call the facility and they can ship them the frozen semen. That is my ultimate end goal is to have every facility start freezing, you know, sperm. You know, obviously you're working with elephant penis, so it's quite dirty as it is, but you want to get it as clean as possible. So that way when you get the sample, the sample is as clean as possible because the more bacteria in there over time, the first 15 minutes is not going to make a big difference, but just that when you ship it, Later on, the bacteria are going to be detrimental to the sperm. So first and foremost, you want to make sure it's as clean as possible that you can make it. And then um, ironically, I did a study looking at storage temperature. And I thought, yeah, surely you should keep it warm body temp. But I found that that was the most detrimental to sperm. So room temperature seems to be ideal if you're going to process it and freeze it. Right. Um, so I try to keep a insulated box at the collection site. And when we collect semen, I, I know I have it into it goes directly into a 50 mil tube. That way I could just cap it and then put it into the box. And then you have to make sure it's shielded from light. Believe it or not, UV light is detrimental to sperm. So that's why we have an insulated cover on the condom. And then we put the collective vial into the insulated box just to keep it friendly because sometimes you're collecting and freezing, you know, temperatures. Other times it's 98 degrees and humid. So just to keep it friendly until you get to the lab, um, until you process it. But the main thing is you don't want to fluctuate temperatures. So you're going in one direction. So you collected body temperature, 35 degrees. You bring it to you know room temp, then you slowly cool it, but you don't want to go cool, warm, cold, warm. You know what I mean? No one could keep going back and forth. You just want to go one direction with it, and then you slowly cool it, chill it, and then you freeze it. But please, use me as a resource if anyone has questions. Um, please, you know, especially as we go forward. Right now, we're in a holding pattern, but I think once we go run in, man, we're going to get going. So... Well, Wendy, I will be the first to say thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for great. having me. It was an Amazing. honor to be part of the club. So thank you. Thank you for Yeah, it was me. great. It was great. Thank you for once again listening to this edition of Packy Chat. Appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Again, Packy Chat's all about just conversation. Take things you heard, uh, things that might work for you, and use them. That's great. Things you don't agree with, well, that's okay, too. We're not here to tell you there's one way to do it. We're just here to start conversation and have some thought. Once again, thanks a lot for listening to Packy Chat. We appreciate you listening. Mm -hmm.